Welcome to the Hinsdale Local Podcast, where we explore the journeys and stories of entrepreneurs and their businesses here in Hinsdale, Illinois. I'm your host, Brent Stutzman, and today I'm joined by Dr. Kerry Thangamani, founder and owner of CHT Ortho, or Orthodontics, in Hinsdale. Welcome to the show, Kerry. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Well, dear listeners, uh, if you spend any time driving around Hinsdale, you'll know CHT Ortho. It's in Grant Square, and you can actually easily look into the offices from Chicago, Chicago Avenue right before you get to Fuller's Car Wash. And I know this because I used to have offices right across the street from where you are. And I remember when you moved in, and I loved how bright and how open it was. And you could just, I could just see people in your office, like just things were just buzzing around. And it was really cool because when I think about probably most of us, when we think about a doctor's offices, we think about 10 by 10 rooms, uh, three walls, very closed in. And I just had a hard time. I was like, wow, I can't believe this is an orthodontic Mm -hmm. office. So I would just love to, as we just kind of kick off our conversation, walk us through uh, the design and what you were thinking, because I think it is just completely opposite of what we think of what a, a doctor's sure. office yeah, is absolutely. like. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we moved. So initially, my uh, my initial office was in another location. It was up on Lincoln Street, 111 South Lincoln to be specific. I'm on a third floor of a um, red brick building there, kind of sandwiched between the fruit store and the U.S. Bank building. Yeah. So I, yeah, so that was my original office on the third floor of that particular space. <laughs> All the way and, up there? <laughs> yeah. And I purchased the practice um, back in 2011. It was a smaller practice at that time, and I purchased it from a retiring um, female orthodontist who was wonderful. Um, and we just continued to basically practice kind of grew um, little by little. And then um, uh, we got to the point where we outgrew the space. And so I knew I needed to move and I needed to get into a better different space Mm -hmm. but it was really important for me to stay close to down the downtown area close to the middle school um and just be still in a walkable uh area because a lot of my patients um especially the um, middle school kids or that high school kind of time frame are either dropped off when mom's Mm -hmm. running 17 different errands or um they walk there or they bike there i mean there's lots of kids that um you know just or walk come to the office on foot so I needed to find a location that was close to town. Um, and then number two, I really wanted, just like you said, light, bright, and airy. I was going to be spending probably more waking hours in this office than I was going to be spending in my own home. So I did not want anything that was dark and dreary. Um, and it really didn't, wouldn't have reflected the culture and the nature of our practice anyway. Um, and so I honestly found the space. I mean, obviously, I come to Grant Square all the time, but I found the space. Um, just by driving by one day and said, hey, for lease. And there used to be a bank in the building. Yes. Um, and there still is, there is, Evergreen Bank is still here, but mm-hmm. there used to be a different bank, I believe it was called Charter Bank. Um, okay. And so when I walked in, I had to kind of see past, you know, the different office cubicles and whatnot, because um, it was kind of the office space of the bank. Um, but I was really attracted to the long, tall windows that were going to let in a bunch of light and the, yeah. that I envisioned my clinic being there. So it was the right it was the right amount of space, even though it was about twice what we already had in my old office, um, and it had so much potential. And I like the fact that it was on the first floor, um, and it was in a great building and a well-established building where people were coming to naturally between Kramer's, Walgreens, um, you know the the um, uh, deli that's there, Burhop Seafood. So it had a lot of foot traffic anyway. So I really was excited about that potential and. 
that was that. So then we were able to kind of make it work. So it's been a great move for us for sure. Now, did you work with a designer or you're like, I know exactly what this is going to look like? Oh, no, I worked with a designer. I can pick out what I like, but I cannot execute a plan in that regard. Mm -hmm. So it was a whole dental office design build team. So the first part was obviously laying out like the floor plan. Mm -hmm. And then um, they have basically like interior designers that are part of that team. We went through probably like three formulations of what we wanted to do and I because I honestly kind of just needed to see and uh, see it before I knew that it was going to be right mm-hmm. um, and then we ended up falling upon something with more muted light colors and tones kind of has more the feeling of maybe like a salon when you walk in mm-hmm. not a lot of bright bold colors because that was just not going to be that's not me and in mm-hmm. addition yeah. I didn't want to I needed to be able to spend my entire like I said we spent a lot of time in here so it's a very relaxing environment very fresh very clean um, very soothing. Um, so I think it appeals to the parents just as equally as it appeals to the kids yeah. and probably more so to the parents too. So, well, I, yeah. wow. Well, I think you and the design team knocked it out of the park. It's really well, cool. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We're proud of it and we still love it. So, um, it's been a, it's a it was a great, um, color selection and a great, you know, it was a great design for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so take me back a little bit. So I'm always curious on how one become, you know, kind of falls into the vocation that they're in did you did you like to play with like teeth in childhood like you got little sets I'm curious how how do you how do you become an orthodontist and do you see anything from like your childhood that kind of played into that yeah 100 percent. it was from my own experience so um I guess maybe I always like going to the dentist I mean maybe I I kind of remember (laughs) back that young but I you know I started my orthodontic my own personal journey around the age of 12. So that was when I was probably going into sixth grade, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a lot of stuff going on. I had impacted teeth. I had a really mm. bad bite. I had a lot of crowding. So I spent, I mean, I was in braces for about three and a half, four years. I had a lot of, lot of issues. Um, mm. And I just really grew to love like the process of how my teeth were fixed, um, essentially. Not only the aesthetic outcome at the end, but I loved the process of it. And I was always very fascinated. I loved my orthodontist at the time. Um, he was always happy. He was fun. He was, you know, just seemed to love what he did as well. And I really do credit a lot of my passion and interest in going into the field to him. Um, and ever, honestly, ever since high school, kind of when my braces came off, I was like, I think that's what I want to do. I want to become an orthodontist. And it oh, really, wow. very few people think they know what they want to do and then it actually stick with it so it honestly stuck with me all through you know that high school into college and obviously I I went to dental school really for the purpose of only becoming an orthodontist that's what I was truly interested in um yeah so it stemmed really from my childhood years and I still see Dr. Larson when I go home and visit my family um you know we have a lot of my parents are friendly with him and I still see him out and about um, and usually run into him over the summertime and yeah, he's wonderful. And I give a lot of credit to him for doing what I do today. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Like, why not a dentist? But it sounds like, uh, that makes sense. Cause I was like, how yeah. does someone actually choose to become an orthodontist yeah. <laughs> and not a dentist? Well, yeah. And I think that, and I think that a lot of it depends. I think orthodontics and dentistry are very different, um, mm-hmm. very different kind of specialties. And, you know, my, just my mindset was more wrapped around orthodontics and treatment planning and diagnosis. Um, and I did like dentistry as well. Don't get me wrong, but I really, um, orthodontics was my passion. So I'm very, um, thankful, lucky and grateful that I 
was able to pursue and actually execute what I wa- always wanted to do. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. So tell us then a little bit, um, tell us a little bit about your family, how you came to and how you ended up coming to Hinsdale. Did you grow up in Hinsdale? I did not. Um, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. Um, so my, so college brought me to, I went to the University of Notre Dame for college, um, which is in South Bend, Indiana, you know, two hours away from Chicago. And I ended up uh, meeting my husband there. Um, and we, you know, started dating, I guess, summer before our senior year. We, he was pursuing medicine at the time. He was from Michigan. We both ended up luckily match or not matching, but getting into the same med school slash dental school at University of Michigan. Wow. That's talk about the luck of the draw. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was very lucky. Um, and then we ended up um, actually you have to match for your medical residency and or your orthodontic residency, but they're separate matches because one's dental and one's medical, and they happen at completely different times. So uh, can I just, interrupt you? Match uh, explain. Ma- I know what matching is because I have a bunch yeah. of doctor friends, but if, yeah. for those somebody who doesn't know, yeah. talk. Just explain briefly what matching is when it comes to med school. Basically, if you're going to match into um, a residency program, whether it's dental or medical, you might apply to, let's just say, for example, 10 different residency programs. Um, You might get interviews at seven of those 10 programs, and then you would go to that interview and then you would rank from one to seven, which is your preference. So number one being number being the best, number two being the second best. And so the schools the schools all do the same if they have 10 spots they rank and they've interviewed 40 people they'll rank one through 40 and then it just some computer generated <laughs> system comes together and they just match it will always go to the the person's preference if you're on the top of the schools list and they're on the top of your list it just makes a match um so we had to do two separate matches because you can't couples match since they were two different programs or two different, you know, specialties, dentistry, dentistry, medicine. But luckily, um, as you know, fate would have it, we both were able to match into Chicago. Um, We both tried for a city just because we thought that was our best odds. Um, I was at UIC, which is the only dental school left in Chicago. And he was at, yeah, so Loyola and Northwestern both have closed um, their Mm. dental programs. Um, And then he matched at Northwestern. So again, it was, you know, wow. Yeah. Fate, luck, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so we both moved to the city from, we were grew up in small towns. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, um, uh, we just grew to love Chicago. Like there was a time when we thought we might stay in the city the whole time. Um, but we loved the city. We had a lot of friends from college, a lot of friends from our training programs that were in the city. Um, but I got pregnant, you know, and I was like, you know what, I can't do city living with a baby. So then we we wanted to make the migration out to the suburbs. Um, We both ended up finding um, practices in the Western suburban area. We weren't necessarily aiming for one particular spot. We just wanted Mm -hmm. to know we want both one to be relatively close to work, given the hours we knew we would work. Yeah. Um, So, um, yeah, and this was after a couple of years of me just working while VJ was finishing his residency and fellowship. So um, it was a long journey, but one that was kind of a lot of planning, a lot of luck in there, some mm. fate in there too. So um, I found my practice in Hinsdale um, with a retiring orthodontist that was just lucky. I you know heard of her um, and we both hit it off and his um, was through a um, orthopedic group at the time that was in the Western suburbs. So um, his main offices are about 15 minutes away. Um, oh. and I 
three. <laughs> so oh, man. That's where we live. So that's how we wound up in Hinsdale. Oh, I tell you, we, you know, we, I worked in Hinsdale for 15 years. My wife has a private practice. She's a mental health therapist okay. for kids. Oh, we wow. opened okay. that four, yeah, we opened up four years ago. And, uh, and then we finally were able to move into Hinsdale like three. And my okay. goodness, that just makes like right. being able to live so close is just so nice. Oh my gosh, and, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, we so not. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So now I got to ask you, cause I was like, how do you buy a private practice? Like, how does that, how, did <laughs> like, that how does that work? Yeah. Do you like buy the equipment? Do you buy you the do. I mean, domain? I like, yeah. I mean, you buy, you buy the physical, well, the space, most medical offices are leased, but you buy whatever is in the practice, right? You buy the fixtures, the furniture, the equipment, the medical equipment, the x-ray machines, the instruments. So you really do buy all the physical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you also buy the patient pool if you mm-hmm. are, um, you know, they might have anywhere from 100 to thousands of active patients, depending upon what you are, um, depending on what, what field you're in, I guess. Um, so you buy that and then you also buy what we call like the goodwill of the practice. So mm. that's the practice's reputation. It's, it's, it's good name. It's the legacy of the practice. Um, and that is the, you know, you can, you can kind of dollar amount many of the other things based upon the accounts receivable of the practice, the H the nature and the age of the physical things. Um, but the goodwill, goodwill is the intangible mm-hmm. number that goes kind of associated with it. And usually you have. The buyer has their team of people that know feel what the what the practice is worth, and then the seller has theirs, and then you know it's like buying a house, and then somehow you yeah. kind of meet in the middle. Um, but yeah, that's it was awesome. um, that's how, and usually find out about a practice usually through um, you know it's just usually through like some type of orthodontic network at least in the dental field it works that way. So that's how I Got found um, the woman who I bought the practice from. Oh, yeah. That is so fascinating because I yeah. uh, like, would you say that's how most orthodontic practices start is through purchasing one? Like what kind of your experience? Because I imagine starting that's off from good, scratch. That's a good question. I think that I think that it's maybe half and half now. Like I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I can't, I could pull a stat. I'm just going based upon my own personal experience of those I know around me. I think that 50% of people either buy a practice or go into an existing practice. Um, and that may mean even nowadays that might be greater. Um, and for some people that may mean buying into like a group practice, mm-hmm. meaning that it has a dentist, an oral surgeon, and, and it like has all the specialties as part of that practice. And then they are just one of the specialists within that group practice. So I think that some people do that. Um, and then there is a percentage that start on their own. Um, and that could be because there isn't an existing orthodontist in the area that they want to be in, or simply there isn't a practice that they want to purchase, or there isn't availability of a practice to purchase in that area. Um, some areas are more saturated than others. So obviously for, to be smart in business, you probably want to go to where you think there is going to be patients to support the, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the numbers that you are, or the the numbers that you want to have. Um, but yeah, and then there's a good number of people that just don't want to own anything and they just want to work, right? They want to associate, um, they want to be an employee and they don't want to deal with having in a business and there's, you know, that's a great option as well. So a lot of, um, many dentists are kind of going that route knowing just, I think knowing that 
owning a business is not always the easiest thing. So there's a good number of <laughs> people, right. especially young people that have a lot of debt burden, um, mm. you know, going the associate route and just taking some time and, um, you know, getting a paycheck that they haven't otherwise gotten before and then working to pay down loans um, with the mm. high debt burden that they have. So um, there's variation. Um, but yeah, kind of a gamut of things across the board. Okay. That's really helpful. I was yeah. just really curious about that. I do I yeah. do a lot of support for like marketing for mental health. Yeah. And I, that's always in the back of my head because, uh, you know, not all mental health are created equally, right? And some right. people might be ready to, you know, either they're struggling or yeah. they're uh, they're ready to retire or something. I'm like, oh, what would it be like to just buy a mental health practice? And they have, you know, I don't know. That was just, right. so right. thanks for answering that question. Yeah. So, yep. so as as a business that actually makes its money by people coming into the office, it's very similar to uh, what mental health is. I'm curious, how, how did you have to pivot for those several months when everything was shutting down for your own practice? Um, it was insanely stressful as it was for mm. so many other people and so many business owners um just because mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going to happen i you know right. are we shutting down for a week are we shutting down for five weeks are we shutting down like for months and months and months so mm. i mean just with anybody it was very 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 stressful um we shut our doors i believe it was like march 16th which was um i feel like the whole world kind of shut down like mm-hmm. during that week or the week after that um, obviously in dentistry, like because it's healthcare and we're dealing with people's mouths, like there was a, I mean, across the board, dental offices shut down kind of across the country, across the world, because we didn't know what our ability for, you know, um, spreading was. Um, what we did is um, after the first two weeks of just trying to co- like reschedule patients and try to figure out what was going on, we realized that this was going to be, we're in this for at least the next probably month or two. So we created some virtual platforms on our website um, and through our kind of communication portals. So most of our communication does happen digitally. Mm-hmm. We text with our pa- we text with our patients. Um, we do everything through like a digital system. So long story short is anybody that was on the schedule with an appointment, we were able to reach out to them digitally and we had mm-hmm. them kind of take photos of themselves at home it's like a you know like a smartphone yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to do like progress virtual checks on them and I spent a good portion of every day just like communicating with the patients that way just to make sure that they were still on track um, and obviously if someone had a significant emergency or they were in pain I would go in and see them because that was mm-hmm. considered emergent mm-hmm. so we really shifted a lot of our things digitally and some of those things actually stayed so a lot of our digital communications um they stayed which was great um but we were closed for about a total of 10 10 11 weeks so it was a while we came back again sometime towards the end of may before memorial day um with a slow kind of you know revamping systems and structures but um yeah our biggest way to pivot was changing everything digitally and i also want my patients to know that just because they couldn't come to the office i hadn't disappeared i was there i was going through all this right with them Mm -hmm. um and the parents i think were really appreciative of the constant communication and Mm. um you know the uh the knowledge that i was just there if anything you know checking on checking in on them and checking up on them so um yeah that was our biggest thing kind of pivoting more to digital yeah, yeah. just just one of the things pivoting the digital, let yeah. alone like have to rethink right 
the cleaning, like just all the information oh, yeah. a business and owner has to, is just taking in. Oh, and by the way, you have two like young kids, right? Like, yeah. Oh, they were doing virtual school, and yeah, there was just my husband. He was down too um, in medicine, and so we essentially were just all around our dining room table. Someone was at each, you know, each side and on their computers and zooming in for different things. And yeah, everything was just that was our life for two two and a half months, just like everybody else. So it was mm. quite a change, that is for sure. And I imagine things have picked up for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we took we went to great lengths just to kind of change how we did a couple things in the office. Luckily, we are socially distanced as it is. Like the mm-hmm. chairs are socially mm-hmm. distanced. Mm-hmm. Um, we did oh, our cleaning procedures are over the top. Um, mm-hmm. We have privacy screens now between the different chairs. Mm. Um, I, the, it really is... Um, uh, you know, everybody should feel a hundred percent safe being in this office. Um, yeah. There are no, even across the dent- dentistry and gen- dentistry in general, there's just no documented cases of any spread oh, within a dental yeah. office. It just doesn't. It just hasn't happened because our um, we are masked, we're shielded, um, mm. and we're cleaning. <laughs> things are just cleaned profusely, constantly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Um, I feel safer in my office than anywhere. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's similar. It's similar with schools. I don't believe there has been a case where a teacher has gotten COVID from a student. Correct. Like there hasn't been any across, like the the country. So correct. Correct. It doesn't. The spread isn't happening. Then the, uh, the anybody that's contracting seems to be obviously it's out. It's happening outside of the, you know, outside of the school space, and you know, nothing's happening within the dental office, which is you know reassuring. Yeah. I mean, my heart during that time, I just remember our, my heart was going out to all these small business owners, like wow. shutting down. I was just like, this is well, you know, I, so all my clients pretty much across the board are completely filled up with, with mental health cases. Oh, uh, I cannot even imagine. And this. my wife's practice is they're almost like completely full. Like we can't yeah, even exactly. hire fast enough. Yeah. It's just the, and it seems like marriages and things were hitting a little bit more early in individual counseling and now it seems like kids are just starting to break like they were able to hold on for so long and yep. i feel like it's just really to a, a breaking point for them so my heart just like breaks for 100%. this percent. and i think that kids are also families are stressed and that weighs in on the kids and you're just like kids are resilient up to a certain point yeah. mm-hmm. um and kids truly need they need socialization. It's not just for mm-hmm. fun. They need that for character development. They need that for personal, personal strength and um, uh, development as well. And I think that because that's been broken for so long or so separated mm-hmm. and disparate, like it's just something that really needs to come to the forefront. And that's where that's where our return to normalcy is. Hopefully, in the near future, right? Not only for right. the economic situation across the country, but really for the health of our kids and our, you know parents and our friends and yeah, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's been a it's been a rough year 100 yeah. percent, ma'am yeah um well i know you got to get back to seeing some patients uh i'm curious so i asked this question to my guests on the hensdale local podcast like so let's just say there's a, a student from hensdale central that's mm-hmm. interested in becoming an orthodontist mm-hmm. what would you tell them now I mean, you talked a lot of things. We talked about, you know, is there matching? There's also debt that you talked about, mm-hmm. student mm-hmm. debt. I mean, what would you tell them to kind of, what would be the mindset? What should they be thinking about as they kind of move towards that trajectory? So I would say a couple of things. Number one, 
as early as you can. Um, try to get into different, like call around and ask the various uh, dental specialists, like, hey, can I come just observe and watch for a couple hours or watch for half of a day and really understand so you get a better understanding of what what a typical day is like, you know, a day in the life of, you know, <laughs> or, you know, dental specialist. But I think that really not only gives them a good idea of what a day is like um, to make sure, hey, this still is really what I want to do, but it also to admissions um, uh, team and the admission staff at these various dental schools and colleges, it all, you're showing that you're expressing interest in the profession early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever kind of observations you can do in high school, absolutely. Um, I also, you know, without a doubt, and this has not changed, um, it's a very long journey. So you're doing mm-hmm. four years of college, four years of dental school, three years of ortho- orthodontic residency after that. So it's a lot of school. Um, I went straight through, so there was no break, in, you know, <laughs> no break in education. Um, and it's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of studying. It's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of physical hours spent doing didactic work as well as clinical work. Um, so you got to love it. You know, you have to have to really, truly um, engage and be uh, love the interaction, not only um, with what you're learning, but also with patient care, because mm. um, you can be a great orthodontist, but you also have to be a very good, um, you have to be very good to people too. Mm. So I would say that knowing what they're getting into from a length of educational perspective, and also get your feet wet. If you're in college and you, if you're in a college and you can spend some time at the local dental school, do it. You know, just do whatever you can to get that experience. If you can do extra research that. If you're in college, if you can do any um, research that is uh, science, you know, uh, science uh, inclined when you're um, in dental school and if you're interested in orthodontics, do get involved with research that is kind of on the orthodontic side of things. So try to look for all the extra stuff just to show extra interest and um, uh, extra dedication to your future career. So those are kind of the initial things I would say. Got it. That's so helpful. Yeah. And and just I'm just out of curious, like what... Or when we're thinking school loans, is this typical for like what a doctor would have? I'm th- like two hundred thousand dollars in school loans comes to mind. I don't know why that is, but like, is is are you looking at heavy, yeah, heavy school so loans for these types of things? Depends upon. I mean, it depends upon if you're going private. Most private schools are probably more than that um, per year. So more than sixty grand a year, I think now. Um, so sixty times four. Um, depending if you get any financial aid with that, that obviously hopefully can kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, there's college, then you've got four years of dental school, and the dental school is the private residency now. Unfortunately, residencies, very few orthodontic residencies are hospital-based. So, again, mm. you're paying for residency as well um, in almost all situations, unless it's affiliated with the hospital, because if it's affiliated with a the hospital, then you get some type of medical um, grant there. Um, so, again, you've got in your community another, I don't know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, so... I don't know. That's right. a lot of money times seven years of education. <laughs> just, just dollar signs yeah. across the board. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of it depends upon what school you go to, but if anything private, you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars at the end so of all beca- of it. So your advice is right on. Like yeah. definitely observe, try to figure out an internship, maybe just an observation internship, uh, you know, can an exchange of, for observation, can I wash some of the utensils or something, you know? (laughs) Right, 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 right. exactly, yeah. Uh, Because you really want to make sure you're, you're in it 
uh, before yeah, you yeah. in it to win it for sure in it to win it yeah absolutely oh. I love what I do um, I feel extraordinarily lucky um, that I have the opportunity to not only um, you know do what I do scientifically and it's my passion but also I've just been given such a privilege to meet so many people and engage with my patients um, the whether they're adult or kid I meet the families we see them out about in town so um, it's a wonderful, wonderful profession. Um, and I feel, you know, lucky to be part of it. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Where can people find more about you and your private practice? Where can they go? So I think the first, um, we, we have our, you know, our website is a major, um, you know, source of information. That's www.chtortho.com. And then we also do have some social media platforms. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we kind of update those and you know uh show the fun side of what we do on a fairly regular basis so you could you know like us um or message us through there um those are also easy platforms but website and then the social media and then our number of courses plastered everywhere on that website so you can always call (laughs) us and um, if you're interested in scheduling a consultation all of our initial consultations are complimentary um so come in and find what we're all about and what we can do for you great well thank you so much and thank thank you. you yeah you're welcome All right, folks, thanks for listening in. If you found the conversation useful, subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and join me again next time for the Hinsdale Local Podcast.